been a part of my life since um, sometime in the mid-90s. Uh, Dan, my brother, first invited me to go up to Columbia, Missouri to a conference in like 95. And uh, really, that conference changed my life in so many ways. And probably more than what I heard at the conference was the friendships that developed. Yeah. And yeah. over the past 20-something years, God has just deepened this friendship Dan has stepped in for me in times of uh, where I needed a break. He has come in and supported our church and talked to our elders and met with so many of you. And so it, it's really my privilege to have back my friend Dan Baracco. Welcome him this morning as he comes to share the word. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. I love you, Neil. The silence. Don't you love the silence? Well, I too, uh, I had to get a, a special dispensation to be with you today because our church at Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Missouri, we're celebrating 40 years at, together as a church. We started last Friday night and it's going this Sunday uh, th through the month of April. Very, very similar. So, uh, it's really my privilege, and my wife is here with me today, to celebrate this kickoff of that celebration of the time with you. I've been here, you know, many, many times, and people will say to me, well, we're glad you're here, but where's your wife? You know, where's Audrey? And uh, yes, yeah, I'm getting some amens over here. Uh, and she's here today, so I'd like my wife, Audrey, to stand. Audrey has been the uh, best thing that ever happened to me, and it has proven to be the best decision I ever made when I said yes when she asked me to marry her. <laughs> and uh, we won't go into that right now, but... Uh, is Kathy here? Is she gone? She, she's downstairs. Well, I wanted to just say that uh, most of you know that Ka Kathy's a saint for, for many reasons. That one right there is a reason, but, you know, she loves her family. She... Um, She's now experiencing the love of, uh, of an expanded love as a grandparent. She loves you as a church, um, and, uh, and she's a very fast driver. I, I know that by experience. She's so, she really serves to an incredible capacity in the life of the church, and her children, Jared and, and, and Adam, Annalise, and Olivia, and Caleb, and Sarah, and Leo, the most important uh, member the family now. So I'm the first speaker uh, in this series, so it can only get better from here. But it's a, again, it's a privilege uh, to be here with you. I've known the church for over 20 years, and uh, I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians. And I don't have PowerPoint. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to depend on the power of the Lord to do His work in us uh, this morning. But I, I, don't, I don't have a PowerPoint. You could write down some things you may feel that are important. Uh, and read in, in Philippians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. And this is the scripture that I, I'm not going to ex, expound upon this. I'm, I want to make reference to it. Um, I mean, I, I know Bart's talk, taught, taught the book of Philippians, uh, but it's my heartfelt expression uh, how I feel about this church. And I mean this from the depths of my heart. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. 
I thank my God on all my remembrances of you, remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you and all making my prayer joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm sure of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me uh, of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for, for you with all, affection of Christ, with all affection of Christ, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may prove what is excellent and so be pure, blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Lord, I, I pray that over this wonderful congregation that celebrates your matchless love over, uh, over a, a couple of decades plus, Lord. We're, we're grateful for that, what you're doing in their lives and what you continue to do for the, for the days ahead. And Lord, we're just grateful for this time that we'll spend together this morning to honor you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, over the next few weeks, as you go through that, this celebration, um, some of the speakers will give Bartner's family some honorary uh, words, and it'll probably be especially Bart. So in order to counteract a prideful spirit that could rise up, I brought an article that I think will be helpful for Bart. It's entitled, Don't Worry, No One Will Remember You. This... <laughs> Uh, so that's the way that really will work over, over, over time. Someone gave me this when I retired, and I, it's actually pretty helpful. Uh, so I think, um, I think you have to be crazy to accept the call to pastor a church. I'm speaking as an example. But uh, I, I want to publicly just thank Bart and Kathy and their family for responding to that call and You've helped the church to see that when, when the church is in the midst of a trouble or pain or difficulty, uh, more, more than praying that God gets us out of the situation, which we immediately go to do that to the Lord, you've helped the church to look to see God in the midst of the situation, and you've made it clear to the church in these 20-plus years that I've been coming here that God is with you as a church. And Isaiah 41, 14 says, I am the one who helps you. And I think you've done a great job in, in passing that along, Bart. I've been friends with Bart, as he mentioned, um, since the mid-90s. I actually met his dad, Jimmy, in, in Fort Lauderdale. I went to a secret Baptist charismatic meeting where you needed a handshake and everything just to get, to get in in the, in the 80s. But I met Jimmy then and then later, and later uh, Brian. I'm still trying to get over that. Uh, and then... And then, of course, Bart, as he mentioned. Um, those of you that have come here for multiple years, you, you will have a grasp on what the Bible in context means. Bart's a voracious reader. He loves his wife. He loves his family. He, 
loves this church and he's prayed for you uh, as a church. And not only those who have come, but those that will be coming because the future means so much to him and the ministry that uh, he's participated in here. Um, he's been faithful through, to work through the tensions of ministry, and there are a few. Um, he's, prayed, he's prayed through the provision that God would give the church, and he's precedent to God for the spiritual vitality of the church that we felt this morning, even as we were worshiped. And he's, owned his own, he's known his own refreshment as ministers of the gospel. We have to have our own personal refreshment in God. And he has a burden for the future. He has a burden for the future for the generations to come because don't worry, you won't be remembered. So we want to, the future is the most important. I want to talk about three things this morning quickly. Your history, your church life together, and your future. You've seen the faithfulness of God for 25 plus years. You've known what it is to uh, depend upon the grace of God through things individually, as families, and as a church. And I, I just want to say, I, I personally want to thank you for your commitment to the calling of God to touch this side of the Birmingham area and many places beyond. I want to thank you for your dependency upon God. You know, I've realized as I've gone on in my Christian walk uh, 50 plus years of being a Christian, that the greatest asset I have in walking in the, in the faithfulness of God is realizing my own helplessness. Helplessness, uh, helplessness is, is really, thank you. Should I sing? Okay, all right. Helplessness is really how the Christian life works. It really is. It's really how the Christian life works. Um, it's not your best life now. It's your helpless life now. We, we need that. That's actually a, be a good title for a book as opposed to some others. Uh, believing God for 20 plus years, it, those of you that have been here all the time or whether you've come in the last five years or, or three months, God is at work in us. And it's not a, a five-shot espresso that gives you spiritual energy, but it's believing God to and recognizing that he is, the, he is the resource of your life as a church and what God wants to do in this community. I believe the church through its history has, has recognized that your weakness is actually your strongest, your strongest point. If I did some calculations that were correct, Bart has spoken over 3,000 times. I really feel bad for you guys. No, no. 3,000 times he's probably spoken between Sundays and, and Wednesdays, Wednesdays and different times and teachings on different nights. And um, he may not have hit it every time. Can I get an amen? No, no, you don't really need to do that. Um, but he has really hit a lot of home runs in his teachings in the light of the church. Uh, our, our senior leader, Phil Schaefer, he was asking his, his uh, assistant, says uh, he was wondering about an illustration. Had he used an illustration before? And he said, so Debbie, have I used that illustration here recently? And she said, now, Phil, you got to realize that people don't remember a lot of what you say. <laughs> but you've got 
hear a grounding in the Word of God that He's put with you through this leadership. I remember a, a, I was away with a group of men on a men's retreat, and we were all bunking in this uh, in, in this bunkhouse. And one of the guys said, "Hey, Pastor Dan, could you? I'm having trouble sleeping. Could you preach for a while so I can?" I, <laughs> You've had good teaching over the years in this place that you can look to and say, I have a grounding of the Scripture. As I was looking through your history, Bart sent me a little bit of your history, how, the, how you met as a small group in, in the home of uh, Larry and Jan Powell and in 93 commissioned five families from Vestivia Hills Baptist Church to begin Fullness Christian Fellowship. And when you began in April, you started at the Old Town location with a handful of people who were willing to journey on an unknown journey with an inexperienced pastor. February 99, you moved, Metro, uh, moved to Metro Church in the building in Columbia, Columbiana Road with 100 people. September 2003, and I was here for that, where you retired the debt on the building. Incredible, incredible. It's been an exciting uh, a journey with a lot of challenges and victories and, and disappointments and personal growth. And, and the sermon series are literally too many to mention. Uh, multiple Old Testaments and most of the New Testament that Bart's been able to preach, to, preach through. You provided an environment, and this is so key, where you have the Word or the Spirit. It's not the Word or the Spirit. It's the Word and Spirit together. They're married. They're always married through the Scripture, and, and I so appreciate that about the life of the church. You come to a place where, you, where, where, where people would grow and they would, they would be discipled and they recognize their destiny. And a lot of you that are here became a, a part of this place over these last several years, organized mission trips to different parts of the world, in Ireland and India and Albania and Brazil and Honduras and, and, and Ghana, uh, Mongolia, uh, actually went to New York. That sounds like a country as well. Uh, but the Bahamas and, and, and Tennessee and mission trips and youth trips, added staff. And, and a number of you came to know the Lord here and were baptized here. You met your spouses here and you started families here. And, and many of your children have grown up here and they've married other people in the body of Christ here. You all have personal memories, and you'll have good ones, and you'll have difficult ones. That's called life, but you've shared it. You've shared it together. You've experienced times like this this morning where God puts something in you at a time of worship, and you go, that is with me for a long time. Uh, times of pain and times of loss. See, when you're thinking of 25 years of ministry as you're celebrating to them today, you you, you got to think of a smoker or a crockpot. It's not microwave Christianity. This doesn't, it just doesn't happen. You live life out together. And that's what I want to talk about. Second point is your church life together where friendships and relationships are built. C.S. Lewis said, once said about friendship, it's born at the moment when someone says to the other person, What? You too? When you recognize that another person is going through a conflict that you've, 
you're going through or you're, 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 you're trying to work your way through it and you realize that God's working in other people the same things that he's working in, 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 in you and in other people in church life. And it's a, it's a common interest that is, that is felt with encouragement. There's a sense of connectedness and you feel less alone. I was meeting with... A, a, and now my responsibilities, I'm not in charge of anything within the church life that I've been a part of for 30, we have been a part of for 35 plus years where I'm not in charge of anything. I meet with a group of people and I mainly go to different churches to try to help them through difficult circumstances. And I love the difficult circumstances that we can get ourselves into. I was in Kansas City helping a church over a few thousand people, and, uh, and uh, we, we met together, and uh, the pastor said to me, uh, he said to me, how you doing? You know, and no, normally we say, fine, and inside we're going, liar, liar, liar. So he says to me, how you doing? I said, I'm not doing very well. He said, good, good, because he didn't even hear what I said. I said, did you hear what I said? Yeah, he's in his early 40s. And I think I'm having trouble hearing. He didn't hear what I said. And uh, he said, did you say you're not doing well? I said, yeah, I'm not doing well. I'm going through a lot of transitions. I'm trying to, I'm having difficulty. He goes, whoa, wait a minute. He said, I didn't think our relationship reached that place of honesty yet. I said, well, it has now. We're, we're there now. And, and I think as you walk church life out together, you come to those places of raw honesty where we can, in, in a small right group of people, we can confess our faults one to another. We can walk out life together. We can talk about the successes and the things we're struggling with. What does uh, comfort look like in the church? It's the Spirit of God helping us to put sin to death and we share the joy with other believers so there can be rejoicing in the power of God working in us when we feel it and when we don't. When we're sensing the manifest presence of God or we're like David in a cave so far back and it's so dark we don't know what is going on. You've, you've endured seasons where God has met with you in your pain and you shared it with others around you and you've seen the faithfulness of the Lord. To be commended for that. When, God's, when God strengthens us in our weakness, He heals us and He brings redemption to us and He, he teaches us through, through those disciplines and He does that together. See, friendship is not seeing how many friends you have on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram. It's the connection with people. Uh, the, the online world is a perception of how you think you want people to know you and like you, and, and we're so caught up with what could, people could be thinking about us. It doesn't replace, and we know that, but it doesn't replace the physical friends that you can hug like you did this morning when people came in and you saw them and you, you greeted them. We're, we, we are people who... Um, we, we, we communicate 
by our presence with each other. I was, I was listening to a bank uh, making an advertisement in St. Louis that said, if you, want to, if you want the use of a teller, it'll cost you three extra dollars. It's like our, our world is wanting to make it so automated that we won't even really need one another. Uh, Amazon's got a new store that they're opening, Amazon Go, where you, you have an app that's on your phone, your smartphone has it, and you walk into the store, it knows you're there, and it doesn't have carts, you just have a little something you could pick up, and you, they're hoping you're going to go in that store, pick out the things you want, you don't have to even speak to anyone, you don't have to go to a cashier, you just walk in and walk out. And our world is wanting to, to separate, separate us or can appear that way where the church wants to bring us together, where, we'll, where we have friendships so that, that, are, that are meaningful. What you need when you're fighting the fear without and the fear within, the things that can eat away at your heart and your mind, you need friends. I need friends. It's important. It's been important in your church life. In Romans chapter 16, the last chapter in the book of Romans, Paul goes through a list of about 30 names. The whole list just oozes of affection, and it it signifies and magnifies the gospel being worked out together. It demonstrates a a beautiful diversity of of race and rank and gender, and and it gives an expression of honor that Paul gives to the people that were people that he was connected with and friendship, had friendship with. Paul was relationally a wealthy, wealthy man. You're relationally wealthy here. You've lived it out together. Paul, he traveled with these friends. He stayed with his friends. He visited with his friends. He, he worked alongside with his friends. He preached with his friends. He got beaten with his friends. He sang in prison with his friends. He encouraged them. And you know what? They encouraged him. In the latter, one of the latter chapters in the book of Acts, it says uh, when Paul was traveling on his way to Rome, and it says the angel of the Lord came to encourage him. You know why he needed encouragement? Discouraged. Things happened in his life that were incredibly miraculous, but he was, he was encouraged by the angel of the Lord because he got discouraged. We, that happens within our church life, and friendship is a healing factor of that. To be relationally wealthy is a, is a great thing. Several years ago, when we, we were having a, what we call a family meeting where we talk about our, uh, our last year, uh, we talk about the business things of the church. We talk about where we are as a church and what we're projecting for the future. One of the guys <clears throat> is a very, very close friend of mine. He's, he's not on our pastoral staff. He, he has just been a faithful, faithful part of the church for several years. And he, he got up and said to the church at large, he said, do we rent the church or do we own the church? Some renters are very good renters. Some renters aren't. They're renting a piece of property, and their concern is, I need to have this fixed if it's broken, and I need it done now. I need it done yesterday. And they, their, their concern is, 
I'm living here for my convenience, and I want to experience that convenience as much as possible. So this is broken. The landlord needs to come and needs to do it right now. Whereas you, if you own the property, your concept is, I need to take care of this. I need to invest in this because it is for my well-being and the people around me. So you don't look at it with a consumerism point of view. You look at it that you own it. This church, we have to have ownership. We have to have an ownership mentality, and you've displayed that over the, over the decades. As I was going through this transition in my own life uh, three years ago when I retired from my position at Christian Fellowship, um, I was looking through a file cabinet. Of, basically, my life was in that file cabinet of messages that I preached or counseling notes, and, and some of the messages I preached, I looked at them and went, oh, these poor people, you know, what, what I said to them, I couldn't believe. But uh, as I was going through that, that my, my daughter, my second daughter, Andrea, she said to me, Dad, why don't you make up, up a timeline of the different things you've experienced in life? And you know what? Really, when I looked at it, it was a, it was a half a page. And you know what's going to end up being? A dash when I was born, and when I went to be with Jesus. And our lives are so short. And when he puts us in a body of people such as he's put you, we want to make it count. You pick up the vision as a whole. See, the church, the church is, is more like a, a platoon or an orchestra. It's not a soloist. It's, it's what we do together that, that makes it go forward. So you pick up the vision as a whole. You have a personal passion that God's put in you, but that is a contributing factor so that the whole body would be edified, not just be, I feel good for what I've done. We own the church. I want to thank you for being a church to families and being a church to singles loving the kids of the church, loving the grandkids, serving in areas of ministry that have produced long-lasting life in the church. The church is large enough to hold us all. The church is able to carry any burden that needs to be carried. You know what's been, um, what's been frustrating to me, or one of the things this has when, when people have pr the, these problems that where something can happen and be ex exposed or found out, people run from the church. But we have to run to the church because that's where a good part of the healing will come. I, I read an in interesting article that said 90% of the churches in the U.S., are 350 people or less. And then it broke it down and it said, many churches are between 75 people and 184 people. Because we hear of the big mega churches. We hear of the, the things that are happening that, that are, are just touching multiple thousands and, and praise God for that. But that's not the majority of church life. It isn't. 
It's, it's people that are living it out in a community, having relationships, and wanting to see the glory of God being expressed in however many people come. Some of you have experienced much more trying times than others. It could be even the people that are around you. But because of your relationship, you, you, you're, you're holding on to the hands of the Lord, and l- later on after the situation, you found out you were holding the hands of people right here because they helped you work. They've helped you work through it. I was going through my journal um, a few weeks ago, and I came across uh, a, a husband and his wife who, um, who told me the story. I'd asked them, when, when we served communion, we would have different couples in different age groups all around the church. So when we serve communion, if people take the emblems, there'll be a couple that'll be standing there or a, or a couple of singles. It, it, you know. So they were telling me, he said, well, when you asked to serve us to serve communion, and people were coming up to us. It was, it was overwhelming. I said, what do you mean it was overwhelming? Well, his wife had been diagnosed with, with breast cancer. And she went through different protocols that impacted her life that was literally not only life-changing for her, but life-changing for their whole family. And people prayed with them. People had cooked meals for them. People cried with them. People laughed with them. And when people were coming up to take the emblems, that's what they saw. They saw relationships over multiple years and healing that had come to their lives. So what do do we do in the times of crisis? We recognize the faithfulness of God and he's faithful to us and through us and many times that's experienced through other people. In our in our early days of, of marriage, we, we lost our firstborn child after just a couple of weeks of living in this world. And we recognized the pain, and instead of just looking at the pain, we did our best to look at the face of Jesus. And Lord, say, would you help us to be conformed in your image? And God put people around us to help us through that crisis, and all of us will face crisis. Let me, let me share with you this. Don't waste your pain to yourself. Share that pain with others. Let them pray for you and encourage you and move you forward. At times, the Lord has hidden us all in, in, these, in these shadows or dark places when we found ourselves uh, a bit lost, um, we, we were trying to figure out what to do, and, and we realized that we found comfort by other people who had gone through similar things. And um, here at Fullness, I've been here enough times to know some of, the, some of the strains and struggles of just even praying with people and how God has helped you through that by the power of His Holy Spirit and His Holy Spirit working through the lives of different people, and sharing that together. Again, we don't run from the church. We run to the church. And lastly, your future. Yesterday's faithfulness that you've experienced gives you hope for tomorrow. You know, it's common for uh, 
uh, it's common today to embrace what's popular. And we tend to act like we think like we're the most important generation. I know our generation thought that. And uh, it, 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 it helps us to see tra the transition to the, to the multiplicity of generations and seeing the vision being succeeded. Uh, I know what it is to pass on leadership to younger leaders. I've, I've attempted to do it all, all through our pastoral life. But what, for example, when we were doing remodeling in the church, the elders made a conscious decision. Nobody over the age of 30, uh, 35 can have any say-so in that. We went, really, should we do that? Should we do that? And you know what? We had young eyes make the changes. And it wouldn't be anything I, I would want to do because I don't have eyes to do that anyway. I'm, I'm a bit colorblind, so that's, that's not good for you know, remodeling purposes. <laughs> but, uh, but newer eyes to look, newer generations to own, and what, where, where will this be placed and do that? And, and, it, and it's good. It, it's right. Uh, and and uh, I can remember giving announcements or hearing my other older elders give announcements, and we would tell people, all right, the sign-up's in the new foyer. The new foyer was 23 years ago when we finished that new foyer. But you, you get used to what you get used to. So in the, in the generations to come, there are things that will, will just be different. A couple of years ago, uh, I, I was asked to speak to a group of college kids that on the university campus, and, and basically, I shared just a real short teaching, and then the leader of the group asked the group to ask me questions, and they, uh, they weren't shy to ask the questions, and I was open as I, as I could be, to be honest with them, and I, and I thought they were very thoughtful questions, and, and many of them were probing questions. And so this group of millennials, many of them were undergrads or in graduate school and, and several PhDs that programs are there. And a few days later, I began to think about those questions. And uh, like any other leader, I, I wanted to understand uh, to, to help them engage with Christ in, in their culture. And I realized coming back from that evening that a word that the describe my impression of what those, those two groups were going through, that group was going through, is the word restless. They were just restless. They felt the same way. Uh, and I, and, I, and I, uh, two weeks after that, I addressed a group of young professionals, and it was the same feeling. They were, they were just restless. They were, they were uh, anxious. They were, they were stressed. They were, uh, much of the time, they felt discontent or unsatisfied and uh, always, uh, always looking for more or looking for something that was, could give them rest and something that was going to make them feel like it's going to be okay. They're restless about their jobs. They're restless about their relationships. They're restful, they're restless about their, their spiritual lives. Of course, and then technology comes along and says, oh, we'll make, that, we'll make, we'll make life a lot easier for you. It hasn't brought any rest to anybody. We, they said, they were telling me, we find ourselves more distracted than ever. We're divided in our attention. We're, over, 
we're overwhelmed, we're, not, we're unable to keep up with the information that is wanting to be downloaded to us or what we thought we'd like to be downloaded to us, or email and social media, constant buzzes and beeps and, 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 and ringers that are, that are going off. And, and we feel the emptiness of our soul. That's what these guys are telling us. And it's, it's, so you live in a mode, if I can just get blank, and you could put whatever fits in the blank, then I'll be okay. And then, then I'll be fulfilled or I'll, I'll get rest. If I can just get that promotion at work or if I could just get that job or if I could just get that person's approval, if I could just, if I could just get my wife or just get my husband to do, to do this or to live this way, if I could just be a, a better parent, if I could just be, uh, find something, someone serious about this relationship, or, or I need to get out of this relationship, or if I can just find that Mr. Wonderful or Miss Wonderful, or just lose some weight, or know that God really loved me, or, then I would be, be okay. Looking for rest, but really not finding it. And for those of us who are believers, as many of these were, uh, fear can help you forget the word of the Lord that he's made promise to you. It does that. It wants to suck away faith. And I, I think, here, here's what I've experienced after many years in ministry and trying to help people and for myself. When I'm going through a difficult situation, I will think I either have faith for this or I don't know where I am in this. Or I'll, I'll have fear in it. And I've come to find out over multiple situations to where I was struggling, when I get on the other side of it, and I look and I go, you know what? God was with me through that. He was with me there all the time. And I didn't think I had faith, but yet he did put that in me. We have to give that to the generations to come that there is faith in what he has put in our hearts, regardless of how we feel. I was meeting with a, a pastor in Columbia a couple of, couple of weeks ago, and we're, we're, we're in a coffee shop, and he said, so I want to ask you something. Uh, he said, how long did it take you to get over insecurity? I went, get over insecurity. I've never gotten over insecurity. He said, what? I said, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly insecure. We think we, we got to have these certain things happen. What we have to find is our helplessness in the Lord and depend upon him in the days ahead for the future of the church. I, I've, prayed, I've prayed this prayer several times. Lord, I don't want to give up when it seems so reasonable and justified. I don't want to give up. I want to, you to help me through these things. We're at the points of opportunity right now, and one day we'll realize later on that they were defining moments in our life, and we can't quit at those times. There's a little book called The Gospel Primer. I, I love this little book, and the man's the author of it, his name is Milton Vincent. And he talks about how the gospel puts things in us and 
He talked, there's a little section on boldness. I use it as a devotion. It's really a wonderful book. And he makes this, makes a statement. So when I'm thinking about your future of the church, and I think about boldness, this is what he says. Consider this. Boldness is critical in telling your story. Without boldness, that's our, our lives, our stories. There will be deeds left undone, victories left unwon, petitions left unprayed, and timely words left unsaid. You know, when God puts something in you and he puts something in your heart and you, you want to just say it to someone and then you hold back, well, is that me? Is that the Lord? Uh, you know, I had, I had pizza last night. Is, is that influencing this? Oftentimes, God puts something in and you just share it and boom, it just drops into somebody's heart and it becomes life. We need boldness for the future and fullness. So, just about, if you've got a, a car after the late 90s, the driver's side mirror will say this. Objects are closer than they may appear. That's what I feel for the church here. Things are closer for you, for your future. For, for the hope of things that you've sought the Lord for. Change is now. Your future is now. They're closer than you think they are. Future, future has, uh, has been passed on to the generations to come. And people may do things differently. They may have, youth may have a different expression to do things differently, but the big rocks of relationship and love and the word of God and your, your vision of who you are as a people, those things are the things that can, can remain steadfast and strong. The expression of it may be different, but those big rocks are there. So what is God calling you as a church for the future? And, and this is what I think it is. God is calling you to tell your story. What, what, what's my story? Well, how you came to faith. Well, I don't have any grandiose testimony. Well, tell that to the Lord. He's the one who sacrificed his life for you. We all have an incredible story. It's a miracle. Well, I wasn't doing this and I did that and it's not, you know, I'm not going to be on... Christian television, some may say thank the Lord for that, but uh, uh, you have a story to tell. And you know what I did? I wrote out my story. I, I, re I rehearsed it in my mind. And I began to realize the story that, that was real. I was hunting with a, a group of my son's friends uh, a few years ago. We were out hunting, and, and, uh, and so one of the guys was riding with me, and, and so I said to him, only known him a few, he played some minor league ball, and I said, hey, so what's your story? And so he told me where he was raised and uh, the family that he, that he grew up in and, and his brothers and sisters, and, and then he said to me, well, what's your story? And I said, I'm glad you asked that question. And I told him of the redemptive work of the Lord. Really casually, no sales pitch. I, we make a bad Holy Spirit, by the way. We're just ambassadors of the message. We speak it out, and we let the Lord do, do that. And I told him my story of how I was, how I was converted. My brother-in-law 
in, in our, uh, we've had several deaths in our family here recently. And when my, my father passed away and I went to live with my sister and brother-in-law, my brother-in-law had been spiritually abused by a, a, a pastor and he just rejected the gospel for over 60 years. God put, put on my heart to go see him at a specific time and I rehearsed my story of living with him coming to the Lord, and in a moment of time, God opened up his heart, he got converted, and a year later, he passed away. Two weeks ago, sitting in a prayer meeting in the, in the life of our church, and one of the guys, his name is Rob, he says, here, let me tell you what happened. I said, what's going on? He said, I told my, told my story to my, my uh, grandfather, who is 102 years of age, and he came to know Christ. 102. Died a week later. Friday night, we were, uh, Thursday night, we were having a rehearsal of some of the retro songs we were going to sing for our worship, similar to what you guys are doing. And, and w- one of the ladies of the church I've known for 30 years, she said, uh, w- went through a history of, of how the struggle of, in, in her family of of uh, how she struggled to love her dad because of things that happened in that dynamic. And her father comes to know Christ as she tells her story again, 83 years of age. We tell our story. See, uh, the marks of a Christian are not indignation towards others. The distinguishing mark of a true Christian is how it bridges the gap between the lostness of where we are and the greatness of God through Christ. Jesus laid down his life for everyone. The shock of Christianity should be that we're willing to engage anybody and tell them our story. That's what the Apostle Paul did when they said, well, when he's teaching in the synagogues and he was going before kings and princes and and, uh, he said, well, let me tell you what happened to me on the road to Damascus. He told his story. Some believed and some didn't. Actually, probably many didn't but he still told the story. You tell your story. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so, so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I, what I please, and it shall prosper, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. First Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, unmovable, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So when you tell your story and you wonder what happened, the Lord said it's not in vain. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up here, if you would. Would you mind doing that? So while they're walking up here, you've seen them walk up here before. Don't be distracted. Okay, I'm going to tell you something real important now. In Acts chapter 18, remember, eyes here. In Acts chapter 18, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. The Lord is speaking to Paul with regard to the Corinthians. And he says to him in verses 9 and 10. 
for I have many, many in this, in this city who are my people. Those who are the people, these were the people who were yet to come to Christ. I thought, oh, he's got many Christians that are going to help Paul. No, he said, these are the people that were going to come to Christ. And no one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people yet to come. God has many people in Birmingham for this church to be a part of that they're to come here. There's many people to come. And I think they come, some of them, by hearing the story. I asked my kids, we have three children, all grown families, how many times have you moved? One move, has moved 11 times since she moved out of the house. She's in the military, so she gets, she gets some of that. Her, she, she does follow her husband. Our other daughter's moved six times, and my son Joe has moved eight times. He now is doing a job where he can kind of live anywhere, and for 18 months, they're living in Airbnbs all over different parts of the country. I said, you're nuts. You're you're." Really? You're doing that? Said, oh, yeah, we're going to do that. Our kids are young. We're, we're going to do this. Audrey and I have moved eight times in 49 years of marriage. Um, if God's called you to be a part of this place and you want to own that and God's saying stay, that's God that puts you there. If he's calling you to go to somewhere else, then you go. But it takes people He puts people in vision to the, to the heart of the gospel in a given place. And some of you may be here for several decades. Some of you may not. And that's okay. God places us. But the vision for the future is for the generations to come. And he wants to put that in all of, that, all of us. And I'm making more of a conscious effort myself. I need to tell my story. I need to be looking out for, for those that are, that are coming that God has put in my life. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask us to do this, if you don't mind, just as, a, as an honoring sense of solidarity as a group of people. Could we just stand here in the front? Just move out from your chairs. We'll stand there. We'll sing a song, and, and then Bart's going to dismiss us. Those of you that are moving forward, move up close as you can. If you're visiting us, please don't feel under any obligation. But I want to do this as a church. So move, move up close. Good. So everybody will be here. I, I want to pray for you as a church, so we'll do that. It's a large space. Right? Oh, there's a table there. Okay. I was going to say, I couldn't see it. God put something in my heart for could be one person or could be several people here. So, and just for the purpose of concentration, would you just close your eyes with me? Just felt this to some one person or it could be more. I believe the enemy has told you 
that you, you're going to continue to live in shame. And that shame is a, it, you feel shame is your captor. It might be as a child, as a teen, or as an adult. But the tormentor or the accuser is always ready to speak to the quietness of your heart and tell you he, he really can't love you because of whatever it is that plagues your heart. And at a certain point, it just, it just cripples you. And he wants you to keep your head down. Not even, I mean, actually, physically and emotionally, keep your head down. And he wants to... See, I, I, don't, I don't believe the devil is all-knowing, so he just keeps at you with the same things that you might be a failure. And you feel that shame. And he wants you to not look at the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that finished work is the finished work of the gospel. And it's almost as if you have like a, a an ankle monitor where you can you go so far and then you're you're just stopped. You can't go any any farther. Well, I, I want to tell you this morning, I believe by the word of the Lord. That your redemption in Christ is complete. The finished work of Christ is that. It is finished. And it's as if the Lord is putting his hand on your shin and where he'll, he'll stare at his eyes. And you, you, you need to hear the words, I, I love you. And the reason I love you is because I love you. So if that would relate to you, if we dismiss, I'd be more than happy to, to pray with you. Okay, look up. I want to borrow the words from a quote by Terry Virgo. Some of you know that name. And he said this, I'm praising, I'm praying, I'm remembering, and I'm anticipating. I just think that's wonderful when we think of our church life church life here. I'm praying, I'm praising, I'm remembering, I'm anticipating. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So Lord, I just pray for this church. I love this church. I thank you that when we when we celebrate, we're celebrating as a whole. We're not we're not celebrating as just a, a person here and there. But in your incredible design, you said, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell will not stop it. So I pray for this congregation. I, I pray for the their history together, their friendship together. And Lord, I, I pray for their future. We are anticipating what you're going to do. And Lord, I bless them in the name of Jesus. I thank you for what you're, you've done. Lord, we're looking forward to the days of heaven with anticipation of your goodness and your mercy. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing this with me. God, I look to you. I won't be alone.